Financial decisions. You face them at every turn. Do you ever feel lost? Do you ever feel like you might be missing something or making a mistake? Join Step Right with Lynn, the show dedicated to empowering socially conscious individuals to manage their financial resources for the benefit of themselves, their families, and the greater community. Here's Lynn Wedham, Certified Financial Planner at Step Right Capital Planning. Good morning, and welcome to the show today. My guest is Gail Vazoxglade, and money is still a mystery for most folks, but Gail Vazoxglade is the key to unraveling the mystery and taking control of your money and your life. During any transition in life, it's important to look at the financial implications and planning to share your life path with another human being is certainly one of them. However, in the excitement of a new relationship, finances may not get the attention they deserve. Today we will discuss how to avoid misunderstanding, miscommunication, and different expectations. Gail Vaz Oxglade says, I know money, you can too. It's not as hard as you think, but it's important, really important. Figure it out. 1959 was a very good year. Gail Vazosclade was born June 18, 1959 in Jamaica, which makes Gail and I just a few weeks different in age. Sorry, Gail, there's all kinds of information available out there online. I won't tell you which one of us is older. Gail came to Canada with her family in 1977. She's a Canadian financial writer and television personality who lives east of Toronto in Brighton, Ontario. Gail hosts the Canadian television series Till Debt Do Us Part, Princess, and most recently, Money Moron. Gail is also a regular columnist for Yahoo Canada Finance. Previously, she was a regular feature writer for The Globe and Mail, Chatelaine Magazine, IE Money, and MoneySense.ca, among others. Gail most recently ventured into the divorce realm by offering financially-based divorce services through the Common Sense Divorce. Among her many accomplishments are several books, lots of resources available on her website, and we all feel that we know her from watching her on television. I've been following her writing for over 20 years. She's always been able to create the experience that you're being advised by a family member or a close friend. Welcome to the show today, Gail. Hi, thanks for having me. It's wonderful. Before we get into our topic, I have to ask you about something. I read uh, about you mucking out horse stalls. (laughs) I'm a horse freak. I used to have horses. I had horses when I was a child, and then when we first moved out to the country uh, up here in Canada, um, we had a couple of horses, a pony, a llama. Um, (laughs) I think there's nothing that smells quite as sweet as horse crap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. When you love it, you love it, right? You certainly do. So you don't have horses now. No, I don't have enough uh, space or, you know, while I was doing the show, that was primarily the problem. I had right. so little time uh, that yeah. eventually they needed better care than I could give them, and so I gave them to someone who would take better care of them. Yeah, so do you ride? Not anymore. Um, no. I, you know, I, I used to love riding, but even when I had my horses up in the country, it was more a case of let's cuddle. So, you know, we'd make a nice big hay bed and everybody would go have a nap together. (laughs) There's a picture. (laughs) Well, you know, and the thing is, is that people don't realize just how willing animals are to that cuddle right up to you. I mean, my pony, I used to take a big plastic chair into the paddock with me in the mornings, and my pony would practically climb into my lap. 
Uh, He'd back right into me and sit on me. <laughs> yeah, that is that is a picture. Yeah, you know, well, that, scratch me, scratch me, scratch me. Yeah, I go trail riding in Ganaraska, so that happens every long weekend through the summer. So if you're you get a lucky a, if, woman, but if you get a long weekend when you can go, I will bring you a horse. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm prepared to get up there anymore. <laughs> well, you could cuddle. <laughs> I certainly could. That I am very good at. You know, the other That's day good. I did a presentation for the Common Sense Divorce, and one of the women that was in the audience was the woman who titles herself as Squawk Fox. I don't oh. know if anybody knows her by her real name, but her blog is called Squawk Fox. And she okay. came up to me afterwards, and she said to me, you really do hug everybody. And I said, yes, <laughs> I in fact do hug everybody. Everybody <laughs> one road gets one. <laughs> so you must have a reputation then. I do. I think what it is is that people have seen me on television hugging my participants uh, when they're right. successful or, you know, when they're sad or whatever. And they feel like, you know, I, I often feel not enough hugging goes on. And so True. I think people think that I am hugging territory. So I'm in the supermarket, I'm in the craft store, I'm in a parking lot, and somebody <laughs> will come up to me and say, can I have a hug, please? <laughs> That's great. There's worse things you could be known for, for exactly. sure. Exactly. I'm also known for a potty mouth, so <laughs> I it out. Okay, well, we'll have the girls ready with the bleep then. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because I work on radio. I have yep. learned to substitute the word crap. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> for sure. So, Gail, what is it in your personal life that makes you unequivocally qualified to discuss money and relationships? Nothing. Nothing? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. You know, sometimes I get criticized for talking about relationships because I'm very open on the fact that I've been divorced several times. I'm working mm-hmm. on divorce number three right now. and I'm thinking that's what makes you qualified. I, that's exactly it. One yeah. of the things people don't realize is that part of being independent and strong <laughs> is knowing when to say enough is enough. Mm-hmm. And love is great. And my last husband was the great love of my life. I probably will never do it again. I won't even, I'll even take out the word probably. I'll never do it again because mm-hmm. when he was good, he was so good that anybody else coming along will have a very hard time even matching up, never mind surpassing. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when it went into the dumper, oh, it was just something horrible. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there comes a time in a person's life when they say, okay, this is enough. I'm not doing this anymore. Right, right. Yep. And I get letters all the time from people. You know, I got a letter just this week from a woman who talked about the fact that when she and her mate got together and started living together, they were great together. He was very, very frugal. If anything, she had to teach him to enjoy his money. And then mm-hmm. after they had their first child, he decided he was going to quit his job and stay home because he had lots of money in the bank and now the money's run out and she's the sole supporter of the family. What should she do? Guess what I'm going to say? Mm. Kick the bugger to the curb. Yeah, that's quite an extreme change, isn't it? Well, and the thing is, is that if you've had every conversation you can possibly have with the person that says they love you, and that person is unwilling to change because whatever reason, but you are feeling uncomfortable, you're feeling stressed, you are feeling as if you are at risk, then that person isn't demonstrating love. They're demonstrating something else, but it isn't love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So why is it important for a couple to discuss their financial expectations when they go into a a relationship? Primarily because if you don't, then you don't know if you're on the same page. That's 
not to say everybody's always on the same page. But what it does mean is that if there are gaps between you both in terms of how you perceive and want to use money, at least having had the conversation, you know you have to negotiate some common space. If you never mm-hmm. have those conversations, then what happens is you just blithely go about your business doing what you've always done. The gap grows wider and wider and wider, and eventually the relationship falls into it. Right, right. I can remember when we were when we were very early in our our marriage, and some mm-hmm. of our friends, you would hear first that that they were having some financial challenges, and and then the next thing would be that they were splitting up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very common. Um, And what a lot of people don't realize is that it's not the money that splits people up, okay? It Mm -hmm. seems to be the money because the problems manifest physically in the money, but it's not the money that splits people up. The money is just the physical way to identify the problem. So the problems used to boil down to things like lack of respect or goals that Mm. are not common. You know, if one of you wants to own a home and the other one only wants to travel, then, you know, that can't last forever. Because one of you will always be working against the goal of owning the home by going traveling or will feel incredibly frustrated at not being able to accomplish their goals because you're so Mm -hmm. dead down determined to own a home. And this is where the conversation comes in. Okay, If you're not talking about it, how can you possibly close that gap? And I, I guess part of what maybe you're saying is that the money presents itself, you know, as the thing, the unwillingness to find a common ground or the That's unwillingness right. to change for the other person. That's right. And it's not a matter of changing for the other person because ultimately you don't have to change who you are. What you have to do is say, I love this person enough to say that this is less important to me than it is to them. So I'll give on this. And the next time they'll mm-hmm. say, okay, I get it. This is more important to you than it is to me. So you get this one. Right, right. But if one okay. person is always getting it, then the other person's out the door. Right. So what questions should a person ask someone as they enter a new relationship? There are a bunch of questions you can sort of start with. You know, one of the first things you can do is talk about your assets and your liabilities. And when I say assets and liabilities, I'm not just talking about money in terms of how much you have in the bank. It's not just a matter of how much is in your RSP. It's what do you earn? What is your potential long-term income perspective? If you think that over the long term, you're going to earn a lot of money, that's an asset to the family, okay? Liabilities Mm -hmm. are the same thing. It's not just how much do I owe on my student loans, and by the way, do I have any credit card debt? Don't marry people with credit card debt, okay? If you're marrying somebody (laughs) with credit card debt, you're an idiot because you're already stepping into the poop. Uh, What you need to do is say to that person, if you want to marry me, if you're serious about this, then clear up your credit card debt first, and then we'll talk. Because if they're not prepared to do that, then why would you even step into that? Anyway, it's not just that liability. It's also the liability of, do I have children with a previous partner? Is my mom depending on me to support her if and when anything happens to my dad? There are all kinds of liabilities that you need to talk about. And when I say liability, again, don't look at it strictly as a negative term. It's a commitment to pay. Hmm. Okay, That's what a liability is. And if you have those commitments, you need to be upfront about them. Mm-hmm. And how would a person guess if the person wasn't being upfront about some of those commitments? Well, it's not so much you guessing if they're not being upfront about those commitments. It's if they have a tendency to not tell you the truth generally. So, mm-hmm. for example, there are people who will tell you, I never lie unless it's keep myself out of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. 
Right. That's your answer. <laughs> yeah. Okay, if for you, honesty is, not everybody thinks honesty is policy number one. You know, there are lots of people who are quite happy to not be told the truth because the truth is hard to hear. In which case, uh-huh. you are getting what you're asking for. But if you believe that honesty is the only policy in a relationship, then that will manifest itself in ways. Just don't ignore them, okay? Because inevitably you right. see those things. Just don't brush them aside and say, oh, but, you know, she's a really swell gal. <laughs> so you have the choice to accept Take that you're going to continue. seriously or not, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just keep keep your eyes open and know you're going to continue to deal with what you're seeing. That's right. You know, Maya okay. Angelou always said people always tell you the truth. Believe them. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good time for us to just stop for a break, and we'll be right back after this message. This is Step Right with Lynn. Lynn Wedham is a certified financial planner, entrepreneur, educator, and radio show host with a vision of a future where families, neighborhoods, communities, and whole societies support each other, where each of us lives up to our own potential so we can help others in a substantial way. Where giving back is something we all practice, whether of our time, our expertise, or our finances. You can reach Lynn with your comments or questions at 519-448-3477 or by email at lynn at stepright.ca. That's 519-448-3477 or by email at lynn at stepright.ca. The title of today's show is Gail Vazoxglade's Rules for Starting Out or Starting Over. And my guest is, of course, Gail Vazoxglade. So, Gail, what about if people are living con law as opposed to starting out in a marriage? Is it less important if you're living common law to get these things straightened out than it is no. for a couple who are getting married? Not if you intend to stay together. If this is just, you know, your roommates and friends with benefits, hey, whatever. But if this is an actual relationship, it wouldn't be any different. And what's really interesting to note is that there are parts of Canada now, specifically British Columbia, where there is no distinction made between common law and marriage. So if you fit the criteria as qualifying as common law relationship, the fact that you didn't actually go stand in front of anybody and get a piece of paper doesn't make a whit of difference. And the stresses are going to be the same. Absolutely. In fact, if anything, the stresses feel like they are more because the option to go feels so much easier that you're always questioning whether you should do this or not. In a marriage, Mm -hmm. you've you've sort of made this quote-unquote lifetime commitment, and that often anchors people for a longer period of time. I'm not saying whether that's good or bad. I'm just saying it does. It anchors people more. Whereas in a con law relationship, they don't necessarily feel the same anchor. And therefore, there's that question about whether, you know, himself or herself will just get up and go. Mm-hmm. In some of your articles, you've used the term marrying debt. What do you mean by that? And what can you tell us about some of the misconceptions around that subject? Well, you know, if you don't have that conversation about what your liabilities are before you get into a committed relationship, then you could end up marrying debt. In other words, um, the person you are committing to in the long term could have so much debt hung around his or her neck, and you would be unaware of it. People say, well, you know, that's their debt to take care of. Okay, but if they're paying the debt, then that's going to affect their ability to meet their commitments to share the common expenses or do some of the activities 
in your life that you wish everybody could do together, like travel or own horses, whatever it is that you have your sort of your eyes set on. It's very important that you know what you're stepping into, that you know what's going on. One of the big misconceptions, this whole idea of if my mate doesn't follow through on the payment of their debt, am I on the hook for it? And in Canada, that is not the case if you haven't signed for the debt. Just like children are not liable for their parents' debt on death, if in fact you have not signed for it, you have to put your signature on paperwork to be liable. And that's one of the reasons why I say to people all the time, don't co-sign, don't jointly apply for credit because that immediately makes you liable and that's the last thing you want. So do you have some tips for how people should organize things? You know, a lot of times, especially if people are coming into a second time around, they're likely to have some of these commitments. You know, one person still has a child still going through school and, and all of these things. And Certainly when they start talking about estates, you know, there's yours, mine, and ours kind Mm -hmm. of thing. How do you see people best organizing those kinds of questions? Well, that's exactly how I see them organizing it, as yours, mine, and ours. Uh, Mm -hmm. I believe that's true even if you're coming into a fresh relationship with no baggage. I believe very strongly that everyone needs to maintain their own financial identity, and that means you have to have your own credit that you're working at building a credit history on. You're not carrying mm-hmm. balances, but you're building a credit history. You have to have your own savings. You notice in Canada, there are no joint tax filings, okay? okay. Not a thing. Yep. <laughs> uh, that's because everybody is seen as an individual. You can't have a joint RSP. You can't have a joint TFSA, tax-free savings account. These are mm-hmm. all things you have to have individually, and you should. What you should also do is you should figure out how much you're contributing to the family coffers and contribute proportionate to your income. It's not fair. It may be equal, but it's not fair that a person making $90,000 a year and a person making $30,000 a year each pay half the rent. That's Mm -hmm. not fair. It may be equal, but it's not fair. Because what ends up happening is the person who's earning less ends up with less disposable income and ends up frustrated and angry because they don't have the money to do the other things. But if you contribute proportionate to your income, that's far more fair. And Mm -hmm. that's the hours account. Okay. What's the most important advice that you have for somebody who's getting involved in a new relationship then? Sit down and have the conversation. You know, talk about what your goals are. What is it that you, where do you see yourself in five years? What is it you want to accomplish? Are you thinking of having kids? Is the way your spirituality plays into your life important in terms of raising your children? Uh, Where do you see this relationship going in the long term? Is one of you going to go back to school and the other one's going to support them? Are you both going to work doggedly towards owning your own home? What are your priorities? What are your challenges? Talk about it. This is what life is made of. This is the stuff of life. Talking about what other people are wearing or what other people are driving is not the stuff of life. This is. (laughs) Yes, the comment's been made several times on the show that Canadians are not good about talking about money. Nobody's good about talking about money. There virtually is no country that's better at it. Everybody is bad at it. And part of the problem is that for whatever reason, we have held over this one archaic idea from polite 
society of long ago that you mm-hmm. don't talk about money. I mean, we talk right. about sex like fiends now. Okay? For sure. And yep. we're happy to compare ourselves, you know, what we have with what other people have, but we won't talk about the truth of our money, and that is what we have to start doing. That's the thing I'm most proud of from the TV shows. Mm-hmm. Because the mm-hmm. TV shows opened it up for people. Before Till Death There Was Part, nobody was having these conversations. Right. Okay? And at least now we've started having these conversations. Mm-hmm. And you said we, we like to compare what other people have, but not not the money part. But mm-hmm. if you compare what people have, that's very misleading. Absolutely. Right? Because if, the thing is, is that what you're seeing, the tip of the iceberg is the granite countertops, and yep. the new boots. Okay, mm-hmm. that's the tip of the iceberg. Below the waterline, the stuff you can't see is all the debt they're carrying around. And right. ultimately, I have said over and over again, if we had a little plaque, a little neon flashing leaderboard on our foreheads that said how much debt we had, those shiny new cars and those snappy new dresses would look a lot less attractive to the people looking at us because they would see the bottom of that iceberg. Owning that fancy car would look a whole lot different if we knew the stress that the payments were causing in some cases. Absolutely, absolutely. Our producer here has said, what do you get the person who has everything? A calendar to mark all the payments. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, you know, so many people write to me and say, I don't know how to smooth out my cash flow. Because every month I go into overdraft and I say to them, have you taken your bills and plotted them on a calendar and then compared them to when your income is coming in? Because you can move bills, Mm -hmm. okay? And it's one of the easiest ways to smooth out cash flow and make your life a little easier is plot those bills. And if you have too much coming out of your first paycheck, move some of those bills to your second paycheck. Yes, you'll pay a little bump amount to even it out. but you know, over the long term, you will be so much happier. Yeah, and certainly the person that that you're paying that bill to is going to be quite happy to do that kind of a thing for you. Lots Um, of companies will do it. If you call them up and say, listen, I can't pay this bill on this date anymore, so I need you to move the date. This is the date that I want, or, you know, move it into this half of the month, and I will pay you whatever the difference is in the short term. They will do it. So, what if someone gets involved in a relationship, but they didn't start out with Gail's rules? What steps can they take to correct things if they are feeling uneasy about the way things are going? But that's the first step, is to have that conversation. You have to mm-hmm. sit down with your mate and say, okay, things aren't going the way I expected them to. And I love you, and I want this relationship to work, but we need to iron out some of these bumps before these molehills turn into mountains. You sit down and you talk about it. If you have a mate who is unwilling to talk about it, then you have to take drastic steps. You know, you have to do things like say, okay, fine, then I'm contributing anything more to the joint household until we have figured this out because uh, I'm not just going to flush good money after bad. So let's talk about how all this is going to be dealt with before we move forward. Mm-hmm. Or you could just take off all your clothes and paint yourself in chocolate and write how much debt you owe in your pocket paint and say to the person, okay, you know, until you get through the debt problem, you don't get the rest, okay? (laughs) Oh, dear. Yeah. Relationships are never easy, are they? They always take work. 
And the thing is, is we know it. We know it. To, to say someone doesn't know this isn't true. We know it. We just don't accept it. Is that sometimes relationships need to be shaken. We get mm. very complacent about how we have done things and you know, well, you always let me do this before, or what's changed? We get very complacent, and we need to shake our relationships. And, you know, sometimes what people do is go on a second honeymoon or renew their vows. Sometimes it means you have to sit down and shake the money tree. Mm-hmm. I know you've got a number of books. Which which of your books would you point someone to get them started on the right track here? Let's Let's talk about some of the resources that you have right. available for people. Right. Okay, so the book Debt Free Forever is the first book I wrote in this new iteration of books. I mean, I I wrote 10 books and said I would never write another book. And then someone talked me into writing Debt Free Forever. My agent actually talked me into writing Debt Free Forever. And Mm -hmm. I had no idea that it was going to take off the way it has. And it's sort of become a Bible for people. And one of the reasons is I have an editor at HarperCollins. Her name is Kate Cassidy. And Kate Cassidy is probably the smartest editor I've ever worked with. And she's all about process. And so when I initially wrote Debt Free Forever, it looked much like all the other books I had written. And then Kate got her sticky the fingers on it, shuffled the pages, and gave me very explicit instructions on showing the math. Mm. She would write in the corner, show the math. And then I would say, I just did. And she'd say, show it again. (laughs) So that book steps you through every single step you need to take to do a spending analysis, create a budget that bounces, if you have debt, create a debt repayment plan, establish a savings regime for yourself, set some goals, understand what your values are. That is the basic book to start with if you need process. Okay, Mm -hmm. For young people starting out who may not yet be into the process stuff, maybe they're just graduating from high school or they're just at university, they haven't got their full-time jobs yet, the budget, the debt repayment plan, that stuff still not front and center, then money rules is the one that establishes the rules that people need to know. And in in money rules, I blow up some of the things people consider to be rules. You know, I say things like your banker is not your friend. Okay, your banker Mm -hmm. is an employee of a profit-making institution. Stop thinking he's your friend because he's not. He's not giving you the best advice for you. He's giving you advice that will serve his needs and you need to know whether that advice is good for you, which means you have to accept responsibility for knowing how money works. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that is all at MyMoneyMyChoices.com. There is an actual roadmap because, you know, we talk about financial literacy a lot. Everybody's talking mm-hmm. about it. We have recognized that it's a huge problem. And yet, if you go to the resources, it's a lot of yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. and know what do I do now? Then what do I do next? Right. Okay. So at My Money, My Choices, there is a roadmap. If you follow the roadmap, you will not go wrong. Mm, okay. And so is that one appropriate for all stages of life then? Absolutely. Because the okay. thing about My Money, My Choices is it's not a race to the end. It's, okay. It's the steps you have to take in some reasonable order so mm-hmm. that you are always moving forward. By the time you get to level, the final level of My Money, My Choices, you're maxing your RSP, you've paid off your mortgage, you're maxing your TFSA, you're doing everything exactly right, but that does not happen in a heartbeat. It's not something you finish in a year or two years. This is your whole life roadmap. 
okay? Mm-hmm. But it deals with everything. It deals with everything from the beginning, which is a spending analysis, through things like establishing an estate plan, making sure you have a right amount of the right kind of insurance for you because there is no wrong insurance. There's just the wrong insurance for you. It sounds like you're asking people to adapt a lifestyle. Yes. Well, money's part of life. I mean, I'm not sure why we pull it out and expect it to sort of be this other thing. It's not. It's not like fashion. (laughs) You don't adapt a different fashion every season based on what the media is telling you was popular Ah, about money. Okay? I mean, I remember, you know, people often compare me with Susie Orman, okay? Mm. I am nothing like Susie Orman. No, you aren't. No, and one of the reasons I'm nothing like... Because she's mean. Well, no, people say, some people say I mean, so that's not it. No, you know what? You're straightforward. You say it clearly, but she's mean. (laughs) Never mind the personality part of it. The reality (laughs) is is that my message never changes. Ah, yeah. I'm a very boring person. My message never changes. Unfortunately, when you read, you look at the media... Depending on how they're spinning a story that day, the message changes. So Mm -hmm. back in 2008, when America went through that horrible stuff that it went through, Susie Orman's message changed. And your message doesn't change. The fundamentals don't change. You don't have to change the message. If you're doing the right thing, you just keep doing the right thing. So just this week, Money Sense had something in it where... They were talking about the fact that money sitting in an emergency fund is just the bank making a profit on you and you should Mm. put it into your mortgage and pay down your mortgage. And people took photos of it and sent it to me on Twitter saying, what do you think about this? Or Gail Bonds Oxlade must be having a hissy fit just about now. And (laughs) my email back was clearly, they do not understand the point of an emergency fund. Right. Okay, because that is not what an emergency fund is for. An emergency fund is not to make money it is to stop you from going into debt should something in your life change. And yes, you should look for the highest high interest savings account you can get. I'm not saying put it in a bank, a bricks and mortar bank where you're earning no interest and they're making money off you. But there are institutions out there that right now I'm getting 2.5% on mm-hmm. some of my money. That's better than any big bank's GIC. Yeah. And I think the key to that, too, is the right amount in your emergency fund, yes, the right amount absolutely. for you. You don't want more of it sitting there no. at, at that rate. Yes. Because if you put it in your mortgage, it's definitely not available to you next week should the roof blow off your house or something. Well, that's not an emergency. That's maintenance. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> maintenance we and didn't, maintenance we didn't uh, address. Because we can see when our tires are wearing out. The fact that we need new tires is not an emergency. An emergency is any interruption in your income that you could not have foreseen or planned around. So you get sick, you lose hours at work, you get laid off, somebody in your family gets sick and you have to take care of them. It's an interruption in your income. It's not just spending. That's called planned spending and you should be planning for it. Okay, okay. And I would say even that one little thing is probably a distinction most people don't make. Yeah, most people don't make it. But anybody who's following the Gale Way knows that Uh if you say to me, you know, I just blew through my emergency fund because my roof fell. If a tree falls on your house, 
and you don't have mm. enough yet built up in your uh, maintenance account, that's a whole right. different thing. You could not have foreseen that. And you, so you would use some of your emergency money and then rebuild your emergency money and rebuild your maintenance account. But if you could have foreseen something, that is not an emergency. That is, you're not willing to look at it and plan for it. Hmm. That's interesting. And I do find there is some power in calling accounts something. You know, this mm-hmm. is your money for this and this is Absolutely. your money for that. Absolutely. I do believe there is some good power in that as well. Well, you can see that you're working towards something. You know, if you have a goal of saving $4,000 for a trip and you're up to $2,897, watch you whip your butt into shape to get to the four because you can just taste it. Right. And that's the thing. The planning can be motivating. Yes, it can. The planning doesn't have to be something dreadful. You know, Mm -hmm. I think people get afraid of planning because they think it's going to stop all flexibility, but really taking control of things does give you freedom. Yes, it does. My daughter, who is just 21, was out with a friend. She lives lives in Toronto and she works retail, okay? Mm -hmm. And she was out with a friend and they were down in Kensington Market and she tried on a hat and the hat was really cool and her friend said to her, why don't you buy the hat? And she said, well, I have the money, but I don't have the money for the hat. Mm-hmm. And a few weeks later, that friend came over to her apartment, and her computer was on, and her spreadsheet was up. And the friend said, what's that? And she explained about her spreadsheet budget. And the friend said, well, I'm terrible with money. And she said, well, that's because you don't have a spreadsheet. Uh-huh. Okay, so January typically is a bad time of year for retail. People lose hours, okay? Mm-hmm. She did it. She did not spend the money on the hat because she knew this. Meanwhile, her friend is saying, I don't know how I'm going to get through January because I'm not getting as many hours as I thought I would. Mm. Okay? There is huge freedom in knowing you're not discovered. Right. That's great. We're going to take this moment just to have another break, and then I really look forward to your final thoughts on this subject. Lynn Wedham is passionate about being a resource for those who want to find effective strategies to plan their legacy. Every gift makes a difference, and every gift in every will makes a difference. It is Lynn's dream that it be commonplace for everyone to consider effective planning for their favorite charities in their estate plans. What if you found a way to make a far bigger impact than you ever thought possible? Lynn's five-step process makes it easy to maximize opportunities for giving you may not know exist. You can reach Lynn at 519 519- Four four eight three four seven seven, or by email at lynn at stepright.ca. That's 519-448-3477. Or by email at lynn at stepright.ca. Welcome back. Today we're discussing rules for starting out or starting over, and we're chatting with Gail Vaz Oxglade. So, Gail, I've heard you, you know, speaking about the media and people thinking that, you know, the headlines say something so they become fearful and they change. What I'm hearing you say is we have a plan and we stick to that plan. Yeah. As an investment person, everybody yeah. knows this is true, okay? If you're uh-huh. an investor, you know this is true. Yeah. You never change based on what's current in the markets because right. that's not why you're an investor investors hold to the course that they've chosen. And the same is true for all aspects of our money. What you want to do is you want to build a strong personal economy Mm -hmm. and then stay true to the plan. 
strong personal economy. That's nice... You know, look at what happened in Alberta, okay? Alberta yeah. has been making money hand over fist for years. Mm-hmm. They, they have been the economic star of Canada for a long time. Right. And so what did Albertans do? They went out and took on the highest levels of debt of any province in Canada. Right. What are they thinking? Mm-hmm. I'm making loads and loads of money, so I need to spend more than I'm making. So now the right. market's corrected in Alberta, in the world, in fact. And everybody, wow, wow, wow. You wonder how many emergency funds there are in Alberta at this well, point. Well, since they have the highest level of debt in Canada, they carry more debt than any other Canadian. You know, likely not very many. Mm-hmm. Because the good times, yeah. they will keep on rolling. Right. So what other misconceptions do Canadians hold about their money? Oh, we think all kinds of weird stuff. One of the prized ones is that we think that because student loans are government-funded loans, that the interest rate on them is a good rate, and it's not. Ah. It's much higher than you would get at a financial institution because the whole time you were in school, the government was eating the cost of lending you that money. And so they're going to get their pound of flesh one way or another. And when it comes time for repayment, what they do is they turn up the interest clock. Mm. So what you need to know is that you need to get those student loans paid off lickety-split because you're not getting a deal on the interest. That's one of the big misconceptions. Another one is that home ownership is a rite of passage. It's what people who have sense of wanting to achieve something do. And it's not true. I mean, renters can achieve much of the same lifestyle comfort as people who own homes. As long as they are accumulating assets in another venue, they're, you know, par on course. And there are good reasons to be a renter, just as there are good reasons to be a homeowner. So don't assume that just because everybody says homeownership is the be all and end all that in fact is, because that's like Rule number one in money rules is renting is not a waste of money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Getting into a house with not enough down payment, that is a waste of money. Yes, certainly someone who's not going to be staying in one place or, you know, I, I agree there's a lot of reasons that renting can be a better. Again, mm-hmm. it's to believe that we are all individuals, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, the answer for one is not necessarily the answer. There's no one answer to any of this, there is- right? That's exactly right. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, all those stories that you see that talk about this is what these people are doing with their money. Well, you know, you can't just look at what they're doing with their money. You have to look at what's going on in their lives. And if your life doesn't match up to their life, then their story doesn't mean sweet diddly squat to you. Right. How quickly should one pay off their student debt? My rule of thumb is you should not graduate from school with more than your first year's income in student debt. If you have an Mm -hmm. undergrad degree, you should get that debt paid off in five years or less. If you have a master's degree, then you're looking at probably about seven years. And if you have a PhD or some other professional type of degree, that's taken a really long time to get. And you've accumulated a whopping amount of student loans as a result. Then really, that is more like a mortgage. Mm -hmm. You know, just as you would pay a mortgage to build the asset of your home, so you are paying the mortgage on the asset that is your career. Right. Yeah, so it's quite important when you think of, you know, a five, a seven, or a longer-term commitment to that. Because, of course, that comes at the same time when people want a new place to live, and there's so many other things they want at the same time as they're tackling the student debt as well. 
But you know, this is this is a relatively new phenomenon. This buying a house in your twenties rubbish. Okay. Okay. I didn't buy my first house until I was in my thirties because hmm. I needed to save okay. up the down payment. Yep. And mm-hmm. my mother-in-law and her husband didn't buy their first house until they were in their forties for the okay. same reason. Okay. So the idea that you can have it all at the same time is rubbish. You can't mm-hmm. have it all at the same time. You have to choose what's most important to you. Have that and then choose the next thing. That's very good advice right there. <laughs> now, I'm sure we could do a whole show around the common sense divorce, but mm-hmm. I'd like you to tell us a bit about that as well. Okay, so Darren Gingrass, who's the president of the Common Sense Divorce, met with me a few years ago and told me he had this idea of doing divorce differently, that the way divorce is done in Canada right now is very much about enriching the pockets of those people who manage the divorce process. Mm -hmm. Even judges are now saying that this has to be done differently because they can't deal with all the cases coming through courts. If you let your divorce go to court, what you're doing is giving away all your oranges, okay? Mm -hmm. A family starts with nine oranges, At the end of a contested divorce, they will have one orange left to split between them. (sighs) Yeah. So you can go the route of a traditional contested divorce Mm -hmm. and spend $25,000 on average or $26,000 on average to get it done. Some Mm -hmm. people spend way more because remember that's the average. Okay. Right. Or you can go with an uncontested divorce and for a little under $5,000, you can get all the paperwork you need in place, have all the agreements appropriately executed, negotiated. What you're doing is you're mediating your divorce. And as you're doing it, you're using the resources of the common sense divorce team to make sure all the other pieces are in place. So for example, if you are a woman going through this process and you've never had credit in your own name, the team will work to find a way to help you establish a credit history. The team will work to look at your estate plan because when you get a divorce, the first thing you have to do is change your estate plan, okay? If you haven't Mm -hmm. got a will yet, you better make one. Right. There are all kinds of steps that go into this, and that's why the team approach is so healthy because they are all looking at you as a whole person, not just a person getting a divorce. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if a person wants more information about that, Gail, where would they find more information? Well, you know, the best way to do this is to go to Common Sense Divorce. So it's commonsensedivorce.ca. There's mm-hmm. loads of information on the website. There are ways to contact people through the website. And remember that the point of a divorce is not to destroy the other person, particularly Mm -hmm. if you have children, okay? Particularly if you have children. Your children are half you, half their other parent. And when Mm -hmm. you say horrible things about the other parent, the children hear you saying horrible things about them. So Ah, the idea is not to destroy the other person. The idea is to find a way to end a relationship and start the next phase of your life with as much emotional continuity and as much of your own money in your own pocket. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. 
What final bits of advice would you like to leave with our listeners and where do they go to look for your books and some of the resources that we have mentioned? Perhaps my biggest message is that money should not be a big deal in your life. It's not a big deal in my life. My daughter laughs about this all the time because people are (laughs) under the impression that I live, breathe, everything about money. And the only time I think about money is when I'm posting in my spending journal, posting to my budget or talking to people about it on, in interviews like this. The rest of the time, I don't even think about it because it's locked and loaded. I save mm-hmm. automatically. My bills get paid automatically. I know where I am. You know, I do a net worth statement every six months so that I always know exactly where I am. Mm-hmm. It's just locked and loaded. It's just a process. You know, it's, it's, it's like doing your morning ablution. You know, you get up, you brush your teeth, you put some cream on your yeah. face. It's the stuff you normally just do. So money should not be any bigger in your life than anything else. But if you're not paying enough attention to it to make sure the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed, then you turn it into a monster. It's not a monster. You make it a monster. Anybody can be smart about their money. Anybody can be smart about their money. Okay, you do not need to take a course. What you do need to do is be committed to some discipline and be determined that you're going to be conscious about what you're doing with it. Right. Okay. Conscious, that's a good word. And as for where to go, you know, the books are all over the bookstores. There are huge displays in bookstores now. You know, everything from Debt Free Forever to Never Too Late. There's a book on how to teach your kids about money, money smart kids. There's a book for kids Mm. going to school, saving for school. There's Money Rules. There'll be a new book out in December about how to talk about money, called Money Talks, when uh-huh. to say yes and how to say no. That's the one I'm working on right now. And, okay. uh, and don't forget about MyMoneyMyChoices.com because that's the roadmap. That will take you to where you need to be next. Okay, that's great. Thank you so much, Gail. This has been wonderful information. Thanks, it's Lynn. been wonderful chatting with you. Thanks so much. Bye Take now, care. Gail. Remember, I'm here to help. Send me an email at lynn at stepright.ca. Let's book a time for your free 30-minute telephone consultation. This is Lynn Wedham. The show is Step Right with Lynn. Until next time, take the right steps to support yourself, your family, and your community. Thank you for choosing to listen to Step Right with Lynn. We hope you'll join us next time. Remember to celebrate your wealth by doing something for yourself, your family, and your community. Until next time.